This is Shiva Raman again from Johns Hopkins University. So let's conclude our survey of hepatic imaging using CT by talking about a variety of benign and malignant cystic liver lesions. We're going to talk about simple hepatic cysts. We'll talk about some infectious lesions, including pyogenic abscesses and echinococcal cysts. And then we'll end by talking about biliary cystadenomas and cystadenocarcinomas. Now, by far the most common cystic lesions of the liver that any of us are likely to encounter is going to be an hepatic cyst. If I read 50 CTs in a day, I'm probably going to see several hundred hepatic cysts during the course of my reading. Now, most hepatic cysts are going to be relatively simple. They're going to be water attenuation, they're going to have a Hounsfield attenuation that's close to zero, and they're not going to have any appreciable internal complexity. So you shouldn't see any internal nodularity, septations, etc., etc. But that being said, a little bit of complexity in a cyst is not uncommon, and you shouldn't really overinterpret that. A little bit of a septation, a little bit of a peripheral calcification is okay. It doesn't mean that it's a malignancy. It doesn't mean that it's a metastasis. For the most part, slight complexity usually means that that cyst has undergone prior hemorrhage or maybe even prior infection. But that being said, I think you need to be suspicious of any cystic lesion that starts to demonstrate multiple septations, multiple loculations, solid nodularity, any solid component, or large dystrophic calcifications. At that point, I think you need to be careful. You can't just call that kind of a lesion as a complicated cyst. and You need to worry about some kind of an underlying cystic malignancy or even a cystic metastasis. Now, hepatic cysts are congenital lesions. They arise as a result of an abnormality in underlying bile duct formation. And as a result, it's not at all uncommon, even in normal patients, to see multiple hepatic cysts. But that being said, if you see innumerable hepatic cysts, particularly in conjunction with multiple renal cysts, you can think about the possibility of autosomal dominant polycystic hepatorenal syndrome. So here's a classic example of a large, simple cyst. Notice how it's got a Hounsfield attenuation that's relatively close to zero. There's no appreciable internal complexity. I don't see any septations, nodular component. There's no solid mass. This is a simple cyst, doesn't require a follow-up, doesn't require a differential diagnosis. Now, Abscesses are a relatively common entity that I think it's really important for us as radiologists to be able to recognize and point out when we're interpreting CTs. Now, abscesses can be pyogenic, they can be fungal, or they can be parasitic. The most common, I think, in day-to-day -day practice are going to be pyogenic, but we're increasingly seeing abscesses in patients who are immunocompromised and that turn out to be fungal abscesses. And in our practice, because of our large population of patients who come in from abroad, particularly the Middle East, we're seeing an increasing number of parasitic abscesses, particularly echinococcal cysts. Now, most of the pyogenic abscesses that I see in my practice tend to occur in patients who are post-op. So if we see them in patients who, are on, who have undergone liver transplantation, complicated hepatobiliary surgeries, or some other type of hepatic intervention. But we also see abscesses in patients who have had GI tract infections with septic thrombophlebitis, patients who have appendicitis, diverticulitis, etc., patients with ascending biliary tract infections, cholangitis, amoebic or echinococcal abscesses, and as I mentioned before, patients who are, have an underlying malignancy or are immunocompromised and develop fungal abscesses. Now, in general, pyogenic abscesses tend to have a relatively characteristic appearance. You're often going to see multiple lesions clustered in the same quadrant of the liver. Lesions are often going to show this peripheral, thick rind of enhancement. There's a well-defined wall. And most importantly, there's often going to be this rim of perilesional edema or hypodensity that I think is very suggestive of an hepatic abscess. Now, it's important to remember that patients off the street who are asymptomatic don't have abscesses. That's not realistic. In general, the vast majority of patients who you're going to diagnose with an abscess are going to come in with a large white count, they're going to be sick, they're often going to be heading towards the ICU, they have some kind of an antecedent history that's going to suggest the right diagnosis, and 
you know, it's usually not going to be a clinical dilemma that the patient has a liver abscess. So here's an example of a classic liver abscess. There are multiple lesions in the right hepatic lobe. Each of them has that characteristic rim of perilesional edema. There's that thick peripheral rind of enhancement, and they have that central hypodense core classic liver abscess, and with the right clinical history, you should be able to offer a relatively specific diagnosis. Now, here's a much larger and easier-to-diagnose lesion. It's large. It's multiloculated. There's a thick peripheral rind of enhancement around its margin. There's lots of perilesional edema. And in this case, because there's actual necrotizing infection, there are multiple foci of gas within the mass, even though this patient has had no intervention, has had no drainage, has had no abscess drain placement. Here's yet another example. Large, hypodense mass in the right hepatic lobe. Notice how there's two lesions in the right hepatic lobe, but no other lesions elsewhere. So they're clustered in the same quadrant of the liver. Each of these lesions, had that, each of these lesions has that characteristic peripheral rind of low density, that characteristic edema. When I see that, I'm automatically going to think about an abscess, and I'm going to go straight to the medical record looking for any signs of a clinical history that may suggest the diagnosis of an abscess. You have to put together the clinical history with the imaging appearance and then offer the clinician a specific diagnosis. Here's yet another example. Notice how, again, this patient hasn't had any recent intervention, but there are multiple foci of gas within this collection classic example of an abscess, which once again demonstrates a peripheral rim of enhancement with a thin rind of perilesional edema. Now, kinococcal abscesses traditionally have not been that common, but we're seeing them more often in our practice, largely because we have a large group of patients who come in from abroad for treatment and also patients who have gone abroad for travel. Now, I think echinococcal abscesses in particular are an important diagnosis to be familiar with because I think the imaging appearance alone should allow you to make a relatively specific diagnosis. So here's an example of a relatively acute echinococcal abscess or echinococcal cyst. Notice how this lesion has that characteristic cyst within a cyst appearance. There's a large dominant cystic mass, but within it are these multiple smaller cystic or hypodense foci. When I see that cyst within a cyst appearance, I'm automatically going to be thinking about an echinococcal cyst, and I have to go to the clinical record to look for any evidence there that the patient might have had an exposure that predisposed them to an echinococcal cyst. So I'm looking for history of travel. I'm looking for a history that the patient has lived abroad for a long period of time. Provided that there's a good history, I'm going to suggest that this is an echinococcal cyst. Now, that was a relatively acute echinococcal cyst. Over time, as these cysts evolve, they're going to develop this characteristic pattern of serpiginous wave-like calcification. So here's an example of a patient who has a large mass in the left hepatic lobe. And notice how it has this really classic-looking internal serpiginous wavy calcification. If I see this pattern, I see something that looks like this, the first thing that I'm going to think about in my mind is a chronic echinococcal cyst. Now, interestingly, at this stage of their development, often serology and titers can be negative. In this example, the surgeons actually didn't believe us. We said that this was almost certainly an echinococcal cyst, but they thought that wasn't possible. The patient's antigens and titers were negative, but we were ultimately proven to be right. This patient was taken to the operating room, and this was found to be a chronic echinococcal cyst. If you see this, you see this pattern, you see this calcification, you've got to consider this diagnosis. Now, in some cases, you may see multiple echinococcal cysts in the same patient in various uh, stages of their development. In this example, the large cyst in the right hepatic lobe is almost certainly chronic. It's got that characteristic serpiginous or wavy calcification. Now, the lesions in the left hepatic lobe and the pelvis, on the other hand, have that characteristic cyst within a cyst appearance. So you're automatically going to think about a more acute cyst. It's not at all uncommon, and I've seen multiple cases where you've seen multiple cysts, various stages of development. Now, MR in some cases can be very helpful in terms of better delineating that cyst within a cyst morphology. 
Here are two T2-weighted images. And notice how you can really get a good sense for how there's multiple cysts within that larger dominant cystic mass. Now let's end by talking about biliary cystadenomas and cystadenocarcinomas. Now, as I mentioned before, a little bit of complexity in a cyst is not at all uncommon, and usually it means that you've had a simple cyst that's undergone prior hemorrhage or maybe prior infection. But when I start to see a cystic mass with multiple loculations, thick septations, a solid component, or even large calcifications, I'm going to be worried that the patient may potentially have a biliary cystadenoma or cystadenocarcinoma. Now, the majority of lesions in this category are going to be benign. They're going to be mostly biliary cystadenomas. The problem is that from an imaging perspective, it is very difficult to be able to distinguish a benign biliary cystadenoma from a malignant cystadenocarcinoma. But luckily for us, that distinction doesn't really matter. These are all surgical lesions, and even those lesions that are benign still have malignant potential, and they need to be surgically resected. Now, unfortunately, biliary cystadenomas and cystadenocarcinomas are extremely difficult to deal with from a surgical perspective. It's really tough to get complete surgical margins, and even if a small amount of these tumors are left behind, they can recur. And I've seen patients who have had multiple liver resections because the surgeons have been unable to completely get rid of the tumor. So here's an example of a large, multi-loculated cystic mass in the right hepatic lobe. Notice how there's multiple loculations, there's internal hemorrhage, the mass is actually hemorrhaged out into the peritoneum, and there's a large central dystrophic calcification. Now, if I was reading this case prospectively, I would probably guess that this is likely to be a large biliary cystadenocarcinoma. In my mind, it looks pretty aggressive. It's ruptured out in the peritoneum, there's all this hemorrhage, it looks like it has these higher density components internally, but I would have been proven wrong. This actually turned out to be a benign biliary cystadenoma. We are not good from an imaging perspective at distinguishing the benign and malignant variants of this tumor. Now, here's another example. It looks much more simple, right? doesn't look like it has any suspicious features at all. Multiple thin septations. There's no solid component. I don't see any calcifications. It just looks like a multiloculated cystic mass, you know, without anything that really raises concern. Now, if I was reading this prospectively, I would almost certainly have read this as likely a biliary cystadenoma. But this turned out to be a malignant biliary cystadenocarcinoma. As I mentioned before, we are not good at making that distinction, but luckily for us, it doesn't matter. Regardless of whether these are benign or malignant, they have to be surgically resected. So in summary, I think it's critical that when you're putting together your protocols, that you optimize your protocols for hepatic imaging. As I mentioned at Johns Hopkins, we always do dual phase imaging when dealing with any suspected hepatic mass with both arterial and venous phase images. If you're just doing venous phase imaging alone, many of the lesions that I showed you wouldn't have even been visualized. If you have all the phases in front of you, you might be able to make a specific diagnosis. Secondly, I think 3D technique and vascular mapping are at their most useful when it comes to liver imaging. Many of the cases I showed you, the 3D images not only helped you identify lesions that may have been tough to see on the source axial images, but they also allowed you to see subtleties of a mass or a disease process that allow you to narrow your differential diagnosis or potentially even come to a more specific diagnosis. Finally, I always tell my residents that it's critical not to just evaluate the images alone, but to understand the patient that you're imaging. And I think nowhere is that more critical than when it comes to hepatic imaging. You have to put together the patient's history, their risk factors, their underlying history of malignancy or chronic hepatitis, and join that with the imaging appearance to come to the right diagnosis. Clinical information is critical to both narrowing your differential diagnosis and in some cases, making a specific one. So thank you. 